Hello everyone, this is Pastor Damien. You're listening to Sermon Audio from New City, Orlando. At New City, we believe all of us need all of Jesus for all of life. For more resources, visit our website at newcityorlando.com. Thanks for listening. But the magicians of Egypt did the same by their secret arts. So Pharaoh's heart remained hardened, and he would not listen to them as the Lord had said. Pharaoh turned and went into his house, and he did not take even this to heart. And all the Egyptians dug along the Nile for water to drink, for they could not drink the water of the Nile. Seven full days passed after the Lord had struck the Nile. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go in to Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord, Let my people go, that they may serve me. But if you refuse to let them go, behold, I will plague all your country with frogs, The Nile shall swarm with frogs that shall come up into your house and into your bedroom and on your bed and into the houses of your servants and your people and into your ovens and your kneading bowls. The frogs shall come up on you and on your people and on all your servants. And the Lord said to Moses, say to Aaron, stretch out your hand with your staff over the rivers, over the canals and over the pools and make frogs come up on the land of Egypt. So Aaron stretched out his hand over the waters of Egypt. And the frogs came up and covered the land of Egypt. But the magicians did the same by their secret arts and made frogs come up on the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh called Moses and Aaron and said, Plead with the Lord to take away the frogs from me and from my people, and I will let the people go to sacrifice to the Lord. Moses said to Pharaoh, Be pleased to command me when I am to plead for you and for your servants and for your people, that the frogs may be cut off from you and your houses and be left only in the Nile. And he said, tomorrow, Moses said, be it as you say, so that you may know that there is no one like the Lord our God. The frogs shall go away from you and your houses and your servants and your people. They shall be left only in the Nile. So Moses and Aaron went out from Pharaoh. And Moses cried to the Lord about the frogs as he had agreed with Pharaoh. And the Lord did according to the word of Moses. The frogs died out in the houses, the courtyards and the fields. And they gathered them together in heaps, and the land stank. But when Pharaoh saw that there was a respite, he hardened his heart and would not listen to them, as the Lord had said. Then the Lord said to Moses, Say to Aaron, Stretch out your staff and strike the dust of the earth, so that it may become gnats in all the land of Egypt. And they did so. Aaron stretched out his hand with his staff and struck the dust of the earth, and there were gnats on man and beast. All the dust of the earth became gnats in all the land of Egypt. The magicians tried by their secret arts to produce gnats, but they could not. So there were gnats on man and beast. Then the magician said to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. But Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he would not, let, and he would not listen to them as the Lord had said. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Well, good morning. My name is Damien. I'm the lead pastor here. I'm so grateful to see all of you. Welcome to all the guests and visitors for the baptisms today and other guests and visitors as well. We're so glad that you're here. This fall, we've been walking through the book of Exodus. And last week, we started what really sort of functions as a mini-series on idolatry. So at the center of this three weeks are the plagues. Uh, Ten but really nine and one, as most commentators will say. The last one gets its own chapter. It's a really big deal. And so uh, we're going to deal with that two weeks from now. 
But today, uh, I want to give you a reminder, rather, of the definition I gave you last week of an idol. This is just a way to describe it. This isn't necessarily a technical definition, but it certainly is conceptual. And that is an idol is a good thing turned into an ultimate thing and then sacrificed to in an inappropriate way. An idol is a good thing made an ultimate thing and then you sacrifice to it, you bow down to it in an inappropriate way. Okay, and so as we think about that this week, uh, we should see this whole three weeks and all of the plagues and really Exodus uh, in general, the first uh, part of Exodus, as a response to the question Ben's already mentioned several times, which is actually something that Pharaoh asks in chapter 5, which is, who is the Lord that I shall obey him? Who is the Lord? And we explored that last week. But it's important to know that all of the plagues are a response to that question. This whole campaign, it really is like a military campaign, is a response to that question. You see, for Pharaoh, when he asks that, it's not really a question of Yahweh's existence, the Lord's existence. It's rather a question of authority. Should I obey him? Right? So the question is, and it's similar in our life and our culture, who has the ability to give me life or what has the ability to give me life? And who or what has the authority to tell me what to do? Those are two questions as it relates to Pharaoh here and as it relates to our life as we think about worship and idolatry. Who or what gives me life and who has authority to tell me what to do? This really is the ultimate question. So today we're going to explore the plagues with those questions in mind. Now it's important to know that Historically, we call them plagues. If you have a, a Bible in terms of it has headings, it's going to call them plagues, and that's fine. But oftentimes, we think of plagues as sicknesses, right? And there's actually only one of the ten that would be something like we often call a plague. The Hebrew word uh, could mean to strike or to touch hard, right? So this is really a strike. So I want you to think about a military strike. This is strategic striking in a campaign, which we talked about last week. And so there is a way to think about the first plague is the first strike, okay? And the first strike is to the Nile. But I will keep calling them plagues because we're also used to that. But I want to make sure I mention that these are strikes and we can think about them as a strategic military strike. Now, not only is it that, but the way that they're communicated to us, I need to, I need to give us a picture of out front. The Bible is amazing. The Bible is amazing in so many ways. And when we pay attention to how the author's structure and organize a text, it reveals to us even more the beauty of God's word. So again, remember I said it's really nine and one. And so the, the plagues themselves are three courses of three. That is the first course is plague one, two, and three. The second is plagues four, five, and six. And then you guessed it. The third is seven, eight, and nine. And so when we see this, the first plague in each cycle, one, four, and seven, Moses is told to deliver a warning to Pharaoh in the morning when Pharaoh comes down to the Nile, which we just saw. So we'll see that again, uh, four and seven. That's going to be blood, flies, and hail. The second plague in each cycle, two, five, and eight, he's told to warn Pharaoh in his palace. Okay, so first is at the water, then it's at the palace. And then the third plague in each cycle, three, six, and nine, is different in that there is no warning. So the blow comes, the strike comes with no prior warning. And the reason for all of this structure, what this tells us is that while these are natural disasters, they are deliberate and purposeful acts of divine will. In other words, these things didn't just kind of happen. I said this last week. It's not like God said, 
well, I have this uh, machine. I'm going to press it, and it's going to go doot, 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 doot. And it's going to say, gnats. Okay, send the gnats. Or frogs. Or the Nile. No, this is structured. This is intentional. And so while we'll pick up more on that next week, today we're going to explore the first three plagues. Okay, we read the text. We saw the first three plagues. And while the plagues do increase in severity and intensity as we go, all of them strike at the very existence of the Egyptians. They strike what they know, their society, their economy. The very source of life to them is disrupted. So God starts with the Nile, and we know from a lot of sources that the ancient Egyptians looked to the Nile as the primary source of their existence. Like we have quotes from Greek historians and others who say something like this, all know that Egypt is the Nile and the Nile is Egypt. In other words, uh, Egypt and the Nile were so synonymous that the Nile was their identity. To be Egyptian was, was to think of the Nile and to think of the Nile was to think of Egypt. So the, the dynasty, the power, the economy, the source of life and flourishing for Egypt was linked with the Nile. The Egyptians, because of that, saw the Nile as the source of all their prosperity, all their riches, the richness of their soil, their capacity to grow crops, and in fact, they even saw the Nile as divine. And so, the plagues begin with the Nile, and as they do, we see the Lord striking at the very heart of Egypt. Because it's that place, the Nile, that Egypt would feel it most keenly, that might get their attention. You see, this is a prime example of taking a good thing, the Nile River, and making it to be something that is worshipped. And so this is not merely an Egyptian thing or an ancient thing. This is a human thing where we take those things that give us good gifts and we make them equal with the giver of those good gifts. And so Egypt had constructed a whole religion with a pantheon of gods in order to worship the Nile. And so God is going to strike there. It's also important to know that this is where Pharaoh in chapter 1 would throw the, uh, the Israelite babies. And so he starts by turning that into blood. The very place that Pharaoh was taking life, he turns the Nile into blood. So this is a full attack. This is not random. This is very strategic. This is very precise. And we'll see that in every plague. So think about this. Again, I said, this is not merely an Egyptian thing to make a good thing into a god. It's not merely an ancient thing. It's a human thing because we all seek the fullness of life in places that don't really satisfy us. We all seek the fullness of life in places that don't fully satisfy us because we misidentify our joy and identity and security with things that are gifts and not the giver. So as we explore the first three plagues, I want to ask three questions, okay? Three questions. The first question is, where do we find the source of life? The second one is, where do we find the source of success? And the third question is, where do we find the source of comfort, okay? So first, where do we find the source of life? Read with me, uh, starting in verse 16. If you have a Bible, uh, Exodus 7, verse 16. And you shall say to him, that is to Pharaoh, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, sent me to you, saying, Let my people go, that they may serve me in the wilderness. But so far you have not obeyed. Thus says the Lord, By this you shall know that I am the Lord. Behold, with the staff that is in my hand, I will strike the water that is in the Nile, and it shall turn to blood. 
Verse 20, Moses and Aaron did as the Lord commanded in the sight of Pharaoh. And in the sight of his servants, he lifted up the staff and struck the water in the Nile. And all the water in the Nile turned into blood. And the fish in the Nile died and the Nile stank. So the Egyptians could not drink water from the Nile. There was blood throughout all the land. But the magicians of Egypt, they did the same thing by their secret arts. So Pharaoh's heart remained hardened. And he would not listen to them as the Lord had said. Pharaoh turned and went into his house and he did not take even this to heart. And all the Egyptians dug along the Nile for water to drink for they could not drink the water of the Nile. So remember, the Egyptians identified the Nile with life itself and here at his command, the Lord disrupts the order of creation by this precise strike, taking life-giving water in all that it offered and turning it into blood. In this case, representing death and judgment. And notice what's so interesting in verse 24 uh, and, and before, Pharaoh sees it, it's reproduced by his magicians, and he turns back into his house unaltered. But people had to bend to reality because this really was blood. And so what they had to do was, it says they had to dig ditches or canals by the Nile because they couldn't drink the Nile to get some of the water that was actually in the ground. And what I think is so amazing about this is notice that the Lord is graciously, in one sense, disrupting the idolatry of Egypt, saying the thing that you think will provide you with all of life, the source of life, I'm now turning that into death. But rather than turning to him, what do they do? They go find a source of life in a different way, a much smaller way, and they dig their own ditch. The Egyptians, it says, dug along the Nile, as I said, for water to drink. And isn't this interesting because for all of us, God will often expose what we believe will give us the best life possible. As idolatry, he exposes it as empty. He takes that thing we saw as life and then we pursue it. And then one day we realize, no, this is death. This is leading to death. And then rather than returning to him in mercy, we actually go find another ditch to dig in order to find life again in our own strength. Is this not true? Of course it is in so many ways. We dig ditches to get what we want another way. This is not an Egyptian problem. This is not an ancient problem. This is a human problem. If you are married, think about this. You get married and and you might think, once I'm married, everything will be better. Okay, then you get married. Husbands and wives, listen, are a great gift. But they make terrible gods. But when we learn that that is true, we then start digging our own ditches and say, well, maybe I'll just find a new one, right? Maybe that's where life is. Maybe that's where I can find life. Well, think about work. Work is a great gift. Work is a great gift, but it makes a terrible God. So when we're not finding life in our job, we start job hopping, searching for a type of life that we just can't get in our job. And it, and it disrupts our workplaces, and it disrupts our life, and it disrupts our family, and it just disillusions us. So rather than realizing work is a good gift from God, but not to be worshipped, we just try to go dig our own tributaries to find life where we know it doesn't exist. Last, just one more example, our emotions are a great gift. They are a great gift, but they make a terrible God. We're so afraid, for example, of negative emotions that we'll run to anything to mask and distract from them, ruining our lives. We think if I can just have these positive emotions only, that will be life. And we just keep digging 
and digging and digging, but there's not life there. See, whatever we trust to bring us life, we will be faithful to that thing. And we will sacrifice to that thing and we'll keep going for that thing until eventually that thing becomes death to us. And so listen, we've trusted in things that promise the fullness of life, but none of them are the true God. And we're being taught that in these strikes on Egypt. That whatever you worship, in this case Egypt and the Nile, as the source of true life, you will find in God's mercy and in God's wonder and his works that that is not the source of life, no matter what you think or what you sacrifice for it, but rather God is the source of life. You see, the fullness of life comes through communion with God in Jesus Christ. Communion with God in Jesus Christ, not in the Nile, not in a spouse, not in good work, not in joyful emotions. While all of these are special gifts, even the Nile, to Egypt, they are not the source of life. And the first strike, God begins to undercut what Egypt believes is their source of life, their source of flourishing. And that leads to my second question. Not only is what is there in our source of life, but where do we find the source of success? Where do we find the source of success? Look with me now in chapter 8, verses 1 through 6. The first plague, uh, Pharaoh hardens his heart. Here comes the second plague seven days later. Verse 8, then the Lord said to Moses, now you'll see, remember, the second of each triplet, he goes to the palace. Then the Lord said to Moses, go into Pharaoh and say to him, thus says the Lord, let my people go that they may serve me. But if you refuse to let them go, behold, I will plague all your country with frogs. This is crazy. This is crazy. Frogs in the house, in the bed, on your bed, in your kitchen, in your kneading bowls, in your oven, on you and on everyone. Okay? This is going to be important in a minute. I'm I'm emphasizing this. Important because he is mocking them. I'm going to tell you how he's mocking them in a second. And so... Moses and Aaron do what they're told. They stretch out the staff. The frogs come. Now, there are many things happening here. I just want to pick up on one thread. I I almost certainly am mispronouncing this goddess, but there was a goddess named Hecate. Hecate, don't know, was a frog-headed goddess. So if you can, you can actually Google this. There's a picture of this goddess, uh, the, the body of a woman and the face or head of a frog. Okay, and what was this goddess for? This goddess was fundamentally for biological fertility, okay? They also would wear sometimes frog amulets uh, where they were common in ancient Egypt as charms for fertility. Okay, now you see the mocking, right? So you look to the Nile as a source of life, as a source of abundance. You trust in the Nile for fertility. You want, you want the Nile for fertility? You want, you want this goddess for fertility? Let me show you fertility. Let me show you. In the house, in the bed, on the bed, in the kitchen, in the kneading bowl, in the oven, and on you and everyone. Just disgusting. It moves from really inconvenient to absolutely disgusting. He's mocking them. God mocks the Egyptians by taking this goddess of reproduction and inundating them with frogs that are reproducing. You see, the Egyptians, like all polytheists, spread their love to many gods for success. They spread their gods everywhere. And God, God, our God, the true God, is going to disrupt every single one of those places that they are putting their trust in. Now, I said, fundamentally, this is biological fertility, and that's true, but 
Think about the word when we say, was it a fruitful day or a fruitful conversation? What do we mean by that? We mean it was fruitful. It was successful. It was a fruitful endeavor. It went as we thought. So when we extend it to that, this is a way in which they are trusting in the Nile and the gods surrounding the Nile for success, not just for life, but success, that things would go well with them, that their will would be done through appeasing these gods. Now, while I doubt that any of us bow down to a frog-faced goddess in our living room, there are many things that we use, many things we use to find success. Many things. There are many things we use to matter, to have lives of meaning. We seek fruitfulness, purpose, feelings of, hey, I'm okay, from all types of other places. But what we see, if we see this through Christian eyes, is that only in full surrender to Jesus do we find full life and success. Only living in full surrender to Jesus. But so often, we're driven by the fear of not being good enough in order to pursue life and success in other ways. We think Jesus isn't faithful enough. I'm not good enough and Jesus isn't faithful enough. So I need to spread my love. Yeah, I worship Jesus. Yeah, I go to church. Yeah, I pray. Yeah, I read my Bible. But I have these other gods on the side just in case Jesus isn't as quick to help me and serve me when I think he ought to be. Just in case Jesus seems to not want to take me and my life in the direction that I really want, I have some other gods on the side that will help me. You know, I was uh, rereading a post by a pastor, Ray Orland Jr., and I'm going to paraphrase some of it, but it was so good. So the best things the next minute and a half are his. I I don't know which ones, but if they're good, they're his. And this is what he says. He, He says so helpfully, every one of us thinks that if only I could do this or be that, then I would arrive, right? If only I could do this or be that or accomplish that, then I would arrive. Then I would be successful. But here's my question. What does arrival look like? Like what happens when you arrive? You know, it's sort of like the dog that's barking at the car. What's it going to do when it catches the car? I have no idea. It doesn't know either. Lick the tire and walk away, right? It's not going to do anything crazy. But yet why, why, why do we keep pressing for arrival? What does it look like to arrive? Whenever, whenever I arrive there, then I would be successful. What does it look like? Well, what if you had that thing? If it isn't Jesus, if arrival isn't communion with Jesus in whatever it is, the risen Lord himself, then every arrival we achieve is only another setback. It's only another setback because you caught it and it wasn't it. So now you got to go dig a ditch somewhere else. What is arrival to us? What is success? What is the source of success? For example, if you make financial security your arrival, you're already trapped in anxiety. If you make a thin body your identity, you will just hate yourself even more. If you make an addiction-free life your okayness, you are doomed to compulsion. God's remedy for you and me is not more money or better looks or perfect control. God's gift to us is Jesus, the true God who will bring us flourishing and fruitfulness. With Jesus, we are saved. With Jesus, everything is going to be okay. Without Jesus, in the end, nothing will be okay. If arrival is something other than fellowship with the triune God through Jesus Christ, when we get to that thing, it will be another setback. It will be another setback. And in this instance, it seems Pharaoh begins to soften, which is interesting, isn't it? Look in verse 8, chapter 8 rather. 
verse 8, Pharaoh called Moses and Aaron and said, plead with the Lord to take away the frogs from me and from my people, and I will let the people go to sacrifice to the Lord. Moses said to Pharaoh, be pleased to command me when I am to plead for you and for your servants and for your people that the frogs be cut off from you and your houses. What is he saying? Basically, Pharaoh's coming to Moses, and Moses wants to show Pharaoh two things. One, I'm God's man, but more importantly, uh, God can end this when I ask him. When he wants, he will end this. So in order to give him agency, he says, okay, we can do that. When do you want to end it? Pharaoh says, tomorrow. Got it. Moses goes and prays. Guess what? It ends exactly when he said it would, when Pharaoh asks. But then something happens. Then something happens. Let's, let's read on. Verse, let's see, verse uh, 15. But when Pharaoh saw that there was a respite, the frogs are gone, they're receding. He hardened his heart and would not listen to them as the Lord had said. Now, the reason I want to point this out is because not only is it intriguing, it's also important. How often have you and I found ourselves at the end of a rope where we did experience that false god of success that we were chasing or that false source of life, we realized it wasn't what we thought it was going to be. Like the classic example years ago, Tom Brady, after his third Super Bowl championship at 27, is in a 60 Minutes interview and he tells a story right after the winning the Super Bowl, sitting on the bed, asking himself, is this it? Is this all it is? Go Google it. Go Google the YouTube video and watch it. It's a really sad clip, but it's not because Tom Brady is unique. It's because Tom Brady is being honest that there are times when we reach the thing that we thought would give us life and success, and it doesn't. And then when we're in that place, sometimes, I think you'll know this experience, you start to serve a type of penance, and you think, okay, I'm going to give myself to Jesus even more. Like, I'm going to live more dependently. I'm going to live dependently. I'm going to pursue community. I'm going to pursue help. I'm going to ask someone to pour into me. Whatever that looks like to you, I'm going to pray. And these are all really good things. But the reason we're doing it still isn't to get God. It's to get respite. It's not to get God. It's to get the things again. It's to get the, the, the less busyness, the peace. If I could just get past this. You see, what happens then is you do get respite. You do get respite. And then you start to harden your heart again. Because you just wanted the gifts. You didn't want the giver. You wanted what God could give you, not God himself. And so we have to learn from this. We have to learn from this. Now, the first question was, what is the source of life? The second question was, what is the source of success? And the third question, and finally for today, is where do we find the source of comfort? Where do we find the source of comfort? So let's look at the third plague, the gnats. This is the final plague in this first course of strikes, okay? Then the Lord said to Moses, again, the the third of each triplet, no warning. And there's no warning. The Lord said to Moses, say to Aaron, stretch out your staff, strike the dust of the earth so that it may become gnats in all the land of Egypt. We got to get a visual here. Strike the land so that it may become gnats. So there's a lot of sand in Egypt. And imagine all of that sand all of a sudden becoming gnats. What appears to be, it becomes gnats. And they did so, and he stretched out his hand, he struck it, and there were gnats on man and beast. Listen, all the dust of the earth became gnats in all the land of Egypt. 
Now, in this case, this is the final, uh, sorry, the first time, and, and it will never happen again, where the magicians tried, the first two times they successfully uh, reproduced a version of what Moses and Aaron did. Here they can't, and they won't try anymore. They won't try any of the more plagues. They've met their match in round three. And they tell Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. This is the finger of God. In other words, implied, listen to him. Listen to him. We are out of control. Whatever control you think you had, whatever control you think you have through us, we don't have it. But Pharaoh's heart was hardened and he would not listen to them just as the Lord had said. So why do I say comfort? There is, there is a God, a God of the earth that would have been thought of with dust. But more than that, instead of making a direct connection to that, what I want to do is I want to tell you an, an illustration in order to get at the point uh, of my the point of this point. So I read recently about a man who graduated from college and he went to work as an engineer with a team of missionaries. Uh, they were in the Amazon basin right uh, near the river. So this is in Peru, right near the river. This is the Amazon River, not the Nile, also a very big river. Okay, so when he got there, he, he's talking, I'm reading an, an interview and uh, he's describing what they did once they finally got there. And as he's describing what they did throughout the day, he mentions that at eating time, they, they went out to the river to bathe and the person who was interviewing him said, you're kidding, you bathe in the Amazon. Aren't there piranhas in the Amazon? Oh yeah, he said, we bathe in the Amazon, but I, I probably wouldn't go in there after having cut myself shaving, but we do go in there and bathe. At any rate, he says, uh, what I really need to mention, this is the man who lives by the Amazon River, what I really need to mention is the mosquitoes. I need to mention the mosquitoes. He says, when they come in swarms, it sounds like a gigantic aircraft landing because there are so many of them. He said the sound of the swarms of the mosquitoes would literally drive some people mad. I want you to think about that. I want you to think about day after day, swarms of mosquitoes that won't leave you alone and, and you're reminded that they're coming and that you can't get away from them because wherever you go, they take a sound with them as a jet landing. This is the picture I want you to have in your head. He goes on to say that in order to get relief, they would go down into the Nile up to their neck and chin. But then as soon as they walked back out, they were back on them. Imagine this day after day after day. And in this case, imagine it as a strike from God. Think about, think about the Egyptians at least in the gods and the pharaohs, when we look at the picture on the wall, the paintings in the tombs, what are they often doing? They're lounging, aren't they? They're lounging. Now, this isn't necessarily unique to Egypt. Wealthy people in all types of cultures would have pictured this as arriving. But nevertheless, this is an attack on the pride that they think because they're powerful enough, because they're wealthy enough, that they can somehow provide their own comfort. But God says, okay, uh, I'm not going to come in and disrupt your comfort with a massive army. I'm going to come in with these tiny little gnats. They're going to come with swarms that presumably sound like aircraft landing and taking off. They're little. They're going to get in your eyes, in your ear, in your mouth, in your nose. Now do you think you can provide your own comfort? Now do you think you can live in your own strength? Now do you think you're God? Now do you think you're the master of your own fate? Think about our lives. We spend so much of our time trying to insulate our life to make us comfortable. 
And comfort isn't bad in of itself. But when we pursue comfort only, we do weird things. But then God in his grace reminds us that no matter how much we try to insulate ourselves from pain, insulate ourselves from pain, from hardship, through success, through riches, through education, through good things that we put our trust in besides God, doesn't he send gnats? Doesn't it feel like that? And so my point is this, is that we cannot live and embrace, as Pharaoh in Egypt did, the arrogance that from the work of our hands, we can provide our source of life, our source of success, and our own comfort. Because we know, we know as we read the Bible, as we have sung, and as we've seen in baptism, the source of all of those things comes from God himself. We are utterly dependent upon God. The gnats attack the pride of Egypt. And today the question is, where do we need to be rebuked? Where are we seeking to find life, success, and comfort in the work of our own hands, in false gods? Where are we basically spreading the love and covering all of our bases and saying, yeah, I'll take Jesus and all of these things too and putting them at the same level? Remember what we said last week. The question was, when do I know a good thing has become an ultimate thing? When do I know if I'm serving Jesus and something else at the same level? And what I suggested to you was, you'll know when they come in contact with each other, when they come in contest with one another, and you choose the other thing instead of obedience to Jesus. That's when you'll know. That's when I know. Listen, no amount of vacation, no amount of money, no amount of stuff alone will provide the rest and comfort we need. And so, today is an opportunity to turn from these false sources of life, success, and comfort to the living God who will fight for us. And some of the times, the way he fights for us is by a strategic strike to our own idols. And when he does that, will we turn to him and not go try to dig another canal to find the life that is only found in him? He will disrupt our false sources of life to call us to himself. And in a moment, Ben's going to come up and give us a time of reflection. And I want us to reflect on that. Where is that for you today? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness through your word and in your presence. Thank you that uh, you who began a good work in us will bring it to completion. Even if it means stripping us uh, of false worship. God, would you call us to yourself Would you bring us awareness of whatever the things are that we need to turn from today? And would we not just turn away from them, but would we turn away from them to you? Would we find life in you? And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.